0: history. I'm Liz. I'm Hazel. We are
1: two friends who studied archaeology together and who both love history and food and um, crafts and making things which may or may not be related to all of those things. And we like to start the episode by talking about what we've been making and or baking recently. So what have you been
0: up to? just want to say, that was a very cagey way of phrasing that. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know when you get a phrase that's sort of stuck going round and round and round in your head? Uh-huh. Well, I, I've rediscovered my childhood love of bandanas, and I mentioned this to a friend who said I should make a banana bandana. Which means my brain has just been chanting the phrase, banana bandana. <laughs> because it's oh. quite fun to say. So I bought some banana print fabric, and now I have a banana bandana.
1: <laughs> Amazing.
0: Like, it's... It barely feels like it counts as a craft, because I just kind of cut a square and hemmed it, but I hemmed it, so it's crafting. Yeah. You you
1: did a thing to it to yeah. make it usable, and therefore it is a craft.
0: And the spiced meat is finally done. I I meant to ask you
1: about that. That ties in very well with today's episode, actually.
0: Yeah, it's... Now that it's not consistently below freezing most of the day, the yeast did wake up, like I mentioned last time, and it seems mm-hmm. to finally be done because the hydrometer measurements were the same for, like, a week. And uh, apparently it's very tasty. It's, like, fairly sweet. And most of the spice, even though we put in like mulling spices, is mostly cinnamony. Okay. But Nick, Nick is having a good time with it. Tasty.
1: Oh, I can't wait to try
2: it. <laughs> You're going to save me some, right?
0: I think that can be arranged. We made yes. a good couple of gallons. <laughs> well, like Fantastic. a gallon and a half, not a couple, but you know.
1: There's still quite a lot.
0: A fair
2: amount. Yeah. It's a good batch. Yeah. What have you been up to? Um. So. Uh, a couple of things. I got a bit sidetracked. Uh, I think I talked about lace making in
1: the last. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So last time I mentioned, I got a bit distracted from that, um, because it seems to be like a cycle of getting really into a craft. And then like abandoning it for another one, and then just like flipping between all the crafts in various stages of obsession.
2: Um,
1: <laughs> so I'm making a quilt, <laughs> uh, which I don't think I've shown you. Um, it's uh, if anyone's been listening to this podcast for a while and remembers the one I was making before, that is now going to be a cushion.
0: Um, is that because, the Tiny Diamonds one?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's the um, the star one. Uh, that's a cushion now because I decided I didn't want to extend it in, into an entire quilt. But this one is going to be. Um, it's using the same technique. It's uh, English paper piecing, which is where you cut out paper shapes and then you wrap the fabric around them and
2: then you whip stitch them together. Um, and... I am basing the colours on a picture, um, because I'm
1: not actually that great with arranging colours and stuff, so I'm actually using uh, the James Webb telescope picture of or image of the Pillars of Creation, um, which is just a very spacey image, Um, so yeah, I'm calling it my space quilt.
0: (laughs) That's so good. It's, it's a lot of fun.
1: Um, one of the fabrics I'm using has giant cabbages on it, um, and I've like cut them up. They kind of resemble like star patterns. So I'm, I'm yeah, I'm calling them my space cabbages.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> I love this <laughs> food for the greater Tuin. Uh yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I really like the idea of like kind of. The- engineering uh really unusual fabrics into something that you know when you're turning something so it resembles a different thing
0: oh yeah like that's that's just collage
1: yeah i guess it is fabric collage isn't it that's kind of what Mm. quilting is (laughs) fun Uh, but with sewing which you know i like so yeah that's (laughs) That's what I've been doing. I've been slowly collecting. Craft shop in my town is closing, which okay. is really sad. Well, they're not closing, but they're closing their haberdashery department because apparently the company doesn't sell enough, which really sucks. But it means there are a lot of bargains.
0: <laughs> so, is is uh, it that thing of I will buy these things and figure out what to do with them later?
1: Uh, no, this time. I mean, it probably would be, but this time I did. I did happen to have a plan. So. <laughs> um yeah that's where we go i've got a lot of oranges blues purples and the background is going to be a dark blue so yeah we're getting there. hopefully i might have with cabbages an actual finished quilt um it just feels such a cozy thing to work on in winter because mm. it's like you're making something your home and it's going to keep you warm and colors and yeah it's nice. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't already guessed, the topic of this episode is mead. Um, and I'm actually drinking some mead right now. Nice.
2: <laughs> it is an apple mead, which is delicious. Um, Honey and
0: apple is, is a classic.
1: Yeah, although technically um, a fruit mead is called a melomel.
0: Ah, yes, I remember learning this when we made the blueberry mead. Oh, I forgot you made another mead. That is amazing. Um,
1: Yeah, so that that is an important historical distinction. Um, And the one I'm drinking is from the Stone Circle Mead Company, which is a Welsh mead company, which will also be relevant later. Oh. Um, Yeah in case anyone wants to try that it's it's their
2: old serum mead and it is delicious hello oh. Alice of mead how old is mead ah uh, yeah <laughs> uh really old is the answer in
1: fact it might be the oldest alcohol uh this is going to be a fairly relaxed episode because it's been a busy couple of weeks and <laughs> you've been um, drinking <laughs> yeah, I haven't really had time to research like the entire world history comprehensively of mead. Um, so I'm, I'm just gonna go through a few like interesting historical notes and some stories, um, and I hope that will be entertaining for people. Um, so yeah, might might not be the longest episode, but hopefully we'll have fun, or at least I will, because I'm drinking mead.
0: I will have fun because I'm hanging out with my friend. Oh, Yeah, take that.
2: You're right back. Uh, So,
1: so, yeah, mead um, is possibly the oldest or one of the oldest alcoholic beverages in the world, which is pretty cool. Um, The linguistic root in English um, actually... Is the same in all Indo-European languages? Oh, which, which points to it being very yeah. old?
0: Yeah, um it's possibly as old as the existence of humans in Europe. exactly. <laughs> um, That's pretty really cool
1: It's really cool, isn't it? it?s actually, that to be a paleo diet? Yes,
2: absolutely.
1: <laughs> Um, it it might even be pre-agricultural, which is wild. Cool. Um And well, actually, paleo. Unsurprisingly, um, it seems to evolve convergently. Is that what they call it when it evolves independently around the same time? Uh, convergent, I think. Convergently. Um, in. S- several different places around the world
2: um which coincidentally are bad places for growing grape so mead is the way to get it it kind of makes sense when
1: honey is like the most fermentable thing around
2: yeah it's that's just a lot of sugar really isn't it it, it literally is just a lot of sugar um, yeah so apparently that um that linguistic root
1: of mead um it has a range of meanings um, but they mostly include things like honey sweet uh drunk (laughs) 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 things like that
0: there's a definite theme
1: (laughs) absolutely um Yeah, so one of the oldest pieces of evidence we have for the production of mead uh, dates to around 7,000 years BC. Um, And in fact, um, remnants of alcoholic beverages uh, containing honey were found in the Neolithic village of Jiahu in northern China.
2: Uh, Dating from this period. It wasn't just Europeans getting hammered on honey. And these pots uh, was found
1: to contain wild grapes, honey and rice. So like a a very early, not a pure mead, because classically that would be just sugar and honey and maybe yeast. Mm Mm-hmm but a beverage that is alcoholic, containing honey. Um, If there's grapes in there as
0: well, would that technically be a MLML?
1: I guess so, yeah. Apparently that's actually, like, the oldest record of any alcohol. That's cool. any alcoholic drink, which is amazing. So, like, that contains honey. (laughs) Um... But we have evidence of mead in the sense that we would probably think of it from around the third millennium BC.
2: Um, and that one is, I
1: believe, in Georgia. That's Georgia the country, not Georgia the state.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so... That um, that study demonstrates uh, again a residue on the inside of some pots and and ceramics uh, that were used as funeral gifts. So we also have mead being involved in like ceremonies and things, which is exciting.
0: It's either important enough to be ceremonial or important enough that you want it in in the next world.
2: Yeah, like
1: it's it's a good a good drink um and mm-hmm. as well nice um, <laughs> we have um and this this one I get excited about um because archaeology uh we mm-hmm. have coprolite analysis
0: yes
1: um which is fossilized poo it which sure tells is. you so many things <laughs> <laughs> So, there has been analysis of um <laughs> of coprolites from uh, around Europe, and these have been shown to contain um, pollen from the herb meadow sweet, which we know was used as a mead flavoring, like very linked to mead production. Um, and then also containing indicators for honey, so suggesting that mead was a part of the prehistoric bite uh, diet in these places
0: mm-hmm.
1: which cool. again, just a really cool way of figuring it out. yeah, <laughs> um and even beyond that, um looking at and again, um on top of that, analysis of the pollen that was in the the specimen from Birka in Sweden uh, suggests that the honey used was imported. Oh, from the southern Baltic.
0: Fancy imported meat.
1: <laughs> so yeah, like evidence of trade and, and produce in prehistory. Oh, um, so cool. Yeah, meat is is a hot commodity, or at least the honey is. Mm. So, yeah, that's some of the archaeological evidence um, for some of the oldest uh, evidence for Mead. Um, And we have written records from several ancient cultures. Um, So it's mentioned in some of the early Vedic texts in South Asia. Um, And... Uh, that's actually our oldest written reference for mead. Um, it's also mentioned in Roman sources and in Greek. Um, some of them mention hydromel, which is like a
0: less alcoholic mead. Is that hydra like it's watered down like they used to do with wine? Or?
2: Um, I'm not
1: sure because I think you can also make it like less alcoholic by adding more water and less honey Mm -hmm. um but i've never made a hydromel so let me know if anyone's ever drunk that
2: um so yeah known across the ancient world um probably i guess the most famous
1: at the moment mead drinkers would be the vikings
2: yeah that's kind of
0: the the stereotypical image isn't it Mm-hmm. like people who dress and talk like they're in Skyrim, going around coughing mead and beating up monks,
1: well, you know we we don't want to be like those weak
2: milk drinkers <laughs> 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 you can tell I played too much Skyrim um so yeah, I mean and and it's true, um, they did drink a lot of
1: mead, so did the Saxons, and like basically everyone in Europe at that time
2: um yeah mead mead was um the most popular
1: beverage of northern Europe along with people are making ale as well Mm -hmm. uh and there's a really fun uh story in Norse
2: mythology about mead and the vikings Go on then. Which I came across in the little magazine Weird Walk. Um, So the story goes
1: that the Norse gods uh, had a really good hunt um, and they were feeling, you know, great about their successful hunt um but they had worked up a great thirst with that appetite um and so they all went along to the sea giant uh a aegir i think that's how you pronounce it um and aegir was known as the best brewer of mead in the in the universe um and so That's the gods so went to him and um and asked him to throw them a feast and he was like not massively in favor of this but wanted to keep on the good side of the gods um so he kind of went um oh did i mention he has nine daughters and they also helped to to brew this mead
0: um i feel like this is going to be relevant
1: it's actually not that relevant except from they just make the mead uh in the end but anyway um so he says to the gods oh this is such an honor guys I would love for you all to stay here and to eat lots of my food um I I would just love to throw you a big feast and make you lots of mead I'm just really sorry though like I don't think I'm gonna be able to make enough for us all i i don't have a big enough cauldron a, a mead kettle i just i just don't have one big enough to make the amount of mead for us all to have some and it would be so rude of me to not give you enough i mean if you wanted me to make enough mead for for all of you i'd have to have a mead kettle a mile wide <laughs> and so Thor took this as a bit of a, a personal challenge. Naturally. And naturally, they all set out to find a mile-wide mead kettle. Um, and this like, is obviously an impossible task, but as so often in mythology, what is the point of setting an impossible task if none of the heroes are going to complete it? Um, who remembers that his father, who happens to be a giant, just, just so happens to possess a mead kettle that is in fact a mile wide, and so Tyr and Thor go along to pick up the kettle, and uh, there are shenanigans along the way. In order to get it, they have to complete some other impossible tasks.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but they get it and they bring it, bring it back to Aegir, who is then obligated to brew mead for all of the gods.
0: I love the energy of this story. It's like, oh, sorry, I can't help you without this extremely specific thing. Oh, my dad's got one in the shed. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you would think, given the
1: Norse pantheon, you might know better than to to set some kind of ridiculous, impossible task, but...
0: Like this guy hadn't read the Edda.
1: (laughs) Actually, that story is in the poetic Edda. (laughs) (laughs) So he's got no excuse. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Should have read the fan fiction. <laughs> it's a good. Story. So that is the
1: story of Um Aegir and the Mead. <laughs> um, but also, um, in the poem Beowulf, we got the mentions of the the Mead Hall and all the. Warriors getting eaten by monsters because they're sleeping off the mead from like drinking mead all night. Mm-hmm. Um, and mead being an important part of like the bonding rituals and the, you know, the Lord hands out the mead. Um, so, yeah, a lot of that in Northern European culture. Again, it's difficult to grow grapes in Norway so that makes sense uh although actually <laughs> i did find out apparently um today uh the world's mo- northernmost vineyard is in fact in norway <laughs> oh, but so those not been...
0: have we didn't have global warming and also heating then
1: yeah the and and also varieties of grape that have been developed to have a shorter growing season and and do better in cold climates so mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been progress on that front um, but at the time Mead was the best bet uh, when we get to the 10th century and this is where Wales comes in Mead plays a big part in uh, Welsh culture at the time okay moving on to the 10th century and um, this is where we get to the part about Wales um so Mead plays a big part in Welsh culture as well and so great a part that the Welsh, the famous Welsh king known as Howell the Good uh, mentions mead um, in his laws, which survive to this day. And he mentions that the royal mead brewer is one of the chief officers of the king. Um this is pretty important then. Uh, yeah, so important um, that the mead brewer receives land and a horse from the king directly so kind of getting accommodation and also a company car essentially yeah um and also receives it
2: says a third of the wax from the mead vat. now i've not really heard
1: about whack being mentioned before as part of the process um but I wonder if that refers like, like I, I don't know if they would be these from like getting the honey maybe yeah so I wonder if that means that they would be mixing they would just be putting the whole honeycomb
0: in there I guess that makes sense if you don't have because they tend to extract honey with a centrifuge don't they
1: yes If you don't um, have
0: that it might be easier to just Dump the whole honeycomb in there.
1: Um, well, yeah. I mean, it might make sense, I suppose. Um, I can I can see how it might work because, say, if you were then heating it in order to dissolve the honey in the water, the wax would come to the top and form like a, a seal mm-hmm. while it's fermenting to
0: stop it going sour. And then you can just peel that crust off and use it as wax afterwards. Yeah, exactly. And, and wax was, of course,
1: valuable. So a third of the wax is like...
0: Well, yeah, beeswax a- worthy... is the fancy candles.
1: Yeah, worthy of being, you know, given as payment. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that's what, the way that they would have done it. Um, but kind of makes sense if they did. Yeah. Like either um, way, it's
0: going to be beeswax.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, that is the way that I do it. When I refine uh Arby's wax, mm-hmm. so it would be to like scrape most of the honey off and then put the wax and remaining honey in a bowl and heat it so that the wax rises to the top
2: and you can just take it off. So I can see it working, but <laughs> if it's present, then I assume that's, I don't know, makes sense.
1: Yeah. Uh... Yeah, and then following on from that, um, the Tudors, who were Welsh-ish. This actually sent me off into a bit of a rabbit hole about Welsh history (laughs) Um, before I had to bring it back to the Mm Mead.
0: So we won't go down that route. Um, But But we might chat about that (laughs) off-recording at some point.
1: Yes, because I, I would like to know more about that. And I know that you know more about Welsh history than I do. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but for now, we'll stick with the, uh, the Tudors, the Royal House of England who had Welsh roots, mm-hmm. um, Introduced, reportedly popularised um, methaglen, which is mead with spices and flavourings added, herbs and spices.
0: Okay, so that, that would be what, what, what we made then.
1: Uh, yeah, I think so.
0: It does sound like an antidepressant.
1: Um yeah, it's it's um considered medicinal.
0: Um oh, to, okay, to have, I just like, meant properties. I just meant the name. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I guess.
1: <laughs> um but yeah, it was considered to, to have medicinal properties as well. Mm-hmm. Um and, and that's why you would add
0: uh, different things. I mean a lot of spices were at that point, to be fair. Um yeah, yeah.
2: And I mean, mean really I do unusual food it, and also usual foods. Okay. <laughs> so apparently um that's a something they liked to have at court. Mm-hmm. Um and subsequently became popular among fashionable people. Um but then later on while mead remained popular
1: um into this era it sort of started declining in a lot of places as wine became more popular Um, so specifically grape wine oh that's fancier you see because it's foreign exactly <laughs> <laughs> um it's both um you know fancy and foreign and then also there was the medieval warm period which allowed wine to be grown in some parts of britain
0: mm-hmm. um and I guess once you get into the Tudor era as well, you're creeping towards the Enlightenment and the whole, Heirs of Rome thing. So I guess wine from that standpoint as well is like that's sophisticated. Hmm. Um. And I
1: guess yeah, like sophisticated, more expensive because it's imported and mm. um and all sorts. And I I think that um seems to be true in like a lot of areas. Did I say Enlightenment? I meant Renaissance, when that that wine gets more popular as the drink of choice for sophisticated people. Um, although in lots of places, it mead remained as
2: part, like part of traditional festivals and rituals. Um, so yeah, if you are interested in the. Um, differences
1: between the different kinds of honey drink um, you've got mead which is just the fermented honey and water um, and that's usually like around a wine strength but it can vary from like quite low alcohol to uh table wine to quite a alcoholic wine kind of strength um, you've got melamel which is a fruit mead um hydromel which is the watered down mead And then you've got piment, which is a grape juice, a grape wine sweetened with honey. Okay. Yeah. Um, And in fact, the term honey wine, which is sometimes used interchangeably with mead, actually in some countries can refer to a wine made from fruit juice that is sweetened with honey later. Um, So it doesn't always mean mead.
0: And you get beer that's sweetened with honey as well, don't you? I've never had one, but it sounds nice. There's one that Nick likes that has honey in. The, I think it's called Waggle Dance. I think that's the one with honey in. It would make sense okay. that that's the one with honey in. Yeah. <laughs> um, It also pops up in a recipe that we've got called uh, Country Wines and Cordials. There's a recipe for honey beer in that, which is basically mm. like a a beer with hops and everything and also honey
1: and also honey yeah so like kind of bitter and
0: also sweet yeah we we made some of that as well actually a while ago i think we've still got some Appar- apparently it's very good okay
1: oh that sounds like an interesting flavor yeah
2: <laughs> i think it's quite medicinal i'm feeling better anyway That <laughs> could be the alcohol um yes but also the honey because that's <laughs> there from the start
1: you know so I don't know um
2: but I, I'd really that's love how to that works mead. <laughs> um yeah that sounds sounds fantastic Was your experience of
1: making
0: mead bean um a lot easier than making beer you just dissolve the honey in water, add yeast, and leave it as opposed to because we, we make beer with hops, which means simmering the hops in water for a while and then using that liquid. Um, basically making a stockpot full of like hop tea and then using that, which does not smell good. <laughs> I, do, I, I quite like the smell of hops. I don't like the smell of hops that have been simmering on the stove for half an hour. Yeah, that doesn't sound desirable. So, like, mead is easier to make purely because I don't have to boil hops. But if you're comparing it to pre-hop beer, it'd probably be not that different, because it's mostly just... Putting things in water. Although you do have to heat beer and you don't have to heat the water for mead. Yes,
1: I read. Apparently it's sometimes like if you're using yeast, do you have to?
2: Or is um, there just so much sugar that it doesn't matter? You don't have to, no. Like it's it's definitely
0: easier. Like it, it gets going faster mm-hmm. if the water is warm when you add it in, if you're using a dried yeast. But I, th- I think you have to leave it longer, but it doesn't make that much of a difference long term in terms of like the overall time. Okay. At least I haven't noticed a difference. I might be completely wrong, but I haven't noticed the difference. <laughs> I just want to share with you as
1: well this amazing line from the laws of how all the kids. Okay. <laughs> Which- the origin of bees is from paradise, and because of the sin of man they came thence. And God conferred his grace on them, and therefore the mass cannot be sung without the wax.
0: This story confuses me. <laughs> People sinned so God gave us bees so we could make beeswax candles for churches, is what I'm getting. I guess. I, I'm, get, I'm getting bees are uh, very dear to God,
1: for some reason. I mean they're pretty great. I mean they're awesome. They're very dear to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um oh and I also found this uh article about this guy who recreates ancient uh beverages. Um, it's I guess somebody in America who is the director of the uh, Patrick McGovern who is the director of the biomolecular archaeology project for cuisine fermented beverages. And health at the University of Pennsylvania Museum, which was a mouthful.
0: Amazing, biomolecular archaeologists are wild. They're just like, yeah, we're gonna make this thing that we think we might, we might, maybe know how they made it, and then we're just gonna try it and put it in our bodies and see what happens.
1: Because of curiosity, let's recreate this ancient thing, and then we'll just eat it, <laughs> just to see what happens.
0: Let's see if it kills us. was <laughs> uh,
1: this one they did based on residue from bronze bronze vessels recovered from a seven hundred BC tomb in Turkey. Um Amazing. containing like wine, barley beer, and mead all in the same kind of drink, apparently
2: very um, <laughs> <Dirty> pine, <laughs> yeah.
1: And there were also food remains in the tomb, so they recreated the funerary feast
0: as well. A funerary Dirty Pine. Uh, I love it.
1: Oh, it's fantastic. Do you think they were just playing Ring of Fire?
0: (laughs) Also, please let us know if Dirty Pine is a thing in other countries, or if that's just really confused all of the non-Brit listeners.
1: I think it probably is. It might not be called the same thing, but I think everyone's probably got the concept of everyone put a bit of your drink in a glass and we'll make someone drink it. <laughs> I feel like that's a universal experience.
0: Oh, yeah, it's just, it's not... The, fr- the name it does not make what it is obvious, I think.
2: <laughs> oh, gosh, <laughs> Anyway, that's it. That's all I'm going to say on the
1: topic of mead for today.
0: Amazing. I have learned. Me
1: too. Have we got a local larder?
0: We do. It's also alcoholic.
1: Yes. <laughs> Let me just pour myself some more mead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I have recently learned about a drink from Goa. Which is um has geographical indication actually, this drink. Right. It's called Fenny. I
1: literally just watched a video about that the other day on the YouTube.
0: But I, I do if not it's the know the same one that I watched about the rare food traditions that are still being preserved. Was it Business Insider? It? it was. <laughs> um but yeah, that made me want to learn more about Fenny. So I did. Um, so Feny is a liquor, which is brewed generally either from coconuts or from cashew fruit.
1: You can make it from coconuts as well.
0: Yeah, the, the two main ones are um, coconut and cashew, although there's also a palm sugar version.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and a few others but the cashew one is the one with geographical indication oh okay so that's the the main one that I want to talk about so I'm afraid we do have to go to colonialism corner Um, Hmm. because the modern Indian state of Goa was a Portuguese uh, colony Okay. Um, And they imported cashews to India from South America. And actually, a lot of the world's cashews are still grown there. I Um, did not
1: know that cashews were not native to India.
0: No, they're South American. Wow. But the, the main producers now are the Ivory Coast and India. Okay. But because the main sort of cash crop of cashews is the nut which grows mm. on the bottom of the cashew apple what do you do with all of these cashew apples that are apparently they're all right to eat but not great um what you do is you mash them up and ferment them and they're actually still made traditionally by stomping the fruit
1: okay like like wine
0: Yeah, in a basin-shaped, like, cut rock basin. Wow. Um, The use of a, a press is becoming more common, but because it's mostly made by people just making it at home, it's generally made using this more traditional method.
1: That makes sense. I imagine the specialist equipment is expensive.
0: Yeah. Um... So to make sure that you get as much juice as possible out of the pulp, you then wrap the pulp tightly in little mounds with vines and put a rock on top that extracts extra juice, which you just drink straight that second pressing. Uh, It's known as Nero. Okay. But the juice is then put in a pot which is half-buried and ferments in there completely naturally. They don't add yeast.
1: Oh wow, so using the
2: wild yeasts from the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And then it is either double or triple distilled in general. So you get up to about forty-five percent ABV. Okay. So it's kind of like a, a brandy, then. Yeah.
0: Um. But you do locally in Goa, you can also buy the single distilled product, which is called uh, Urak.
2: Mhm.
0: And apparently, it is very popular locally. And it's one of those things that a lot of people in Goa will have had it, but it's not exported that much, mostly because it's quite small growers, and, and partly because it is a very local thing. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: is it, like, exported at all to other countries? Or? It is.
0: There are websites where you can buy it that just spell... that. There are websites where you can buy it that just sell Fenny. Oh wow. Because there are there are people trying to make it more of a thing internationally. Um In 2016 the state government tried to get more recognition for it, including So in in the past few years the state government of Goa has tried to get more recognition for it as this heritage product because obviously heritage products are quite big just in general at the moment
1: yeah i think there's definitely a resurgence of interest in like regional products
0: yeah so there's been pushes to allow tourists to sort of tour the production and see the the cashew being harvested and see it being distilled and fermented Mm -hmm. And some distillers have actually pushed for the government to create more guidelines about making it so that there is a a guarantee of quality, which obviously makes it easier to export a product if people know what they're getting.
2: So does that mean there would be, like, an inspector of I Yes, it would, yeah.
0: And you you do get, in other places where cashew is grown, like, obviously, where it's from, which is South America, you do get people making use of the cashew fruit in similar ways, but Fenny specifically is, because of the geographical indication, it is goan cashew fruit liquor.
1: Okay, so it has to be made in that region to be considered under Feni.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's what geographical indication is, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and much like mead, it is considered locally to be medicinal. It's thought by a lot of people to be better than cough syrup for dealing with colds.
1: Okay. I think I'd definitely rather take a shot of pure alcohol than (laughs) cough syrup
0: yeah um just a a brief note about the coconut one is that it's not made from the actual coconut fruit it's made from the flowers of the coconut palm oh wow so is that that by
1: i guess steeping them
0: uh no they tap them oh And then, yeah, that is fermented for three days in a similar way to cashew fenny. and then uh, it's double distilled rather than triple. That's really cool. So that is Fenny. That is the local ladder for this week.
1: That's awesome. I would love to try that one day. I think on our road trip of going around and trying all of the regional foods, you will have to drive, because I will be sampling the (laughs) regional alcohols.
0: We need we need a bread and thread TV show where we can just go on a tour and try all these things. <laughs>
1: yes. If anyone listening is a famous TV executive, then <laughs> email us.
0: Or not famous. We're not picky. Uh, but we'll yeah. take that. T- <laughs> so, if you want to support us, we have a Patreon, Bread and Thread, where you can get access to monthly recipes, as well as a Discord server where the day of recording this, we have been discussing what plants are the sluttiest. (laughs) I mean, obviously the answer is citrus, but you know, there's other contenders.
1: Uh, Keep listening to our podcast to find out more about that. (laughs) Um, We are also on Twitter, at Bread and Thread, where you can find teasers for upcoming episodes, pictures of things that we talk about on the podcast um, and things that we retweet that
0: are interesting Uh, you can get that same content on Tumblr, also Bread and Thread and if you have an episode suggestion or a question or just want to say hi um, then you can email breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com or messages on Tumblr. We've had some really nice messages on Tumblr, honestly. So, uh, pen- sorry, you, you say it? Oh, no, that
1: does good. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and we will
2: see you next time.